Hi, I'm Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Fed's favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond. Plus, sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. Hey all, this is Glenn Kirshner, and you're listening to Muller She Wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, Allison Gill, formerly known as AG, but I no longer work for the federal government, so you can call me Allison. Today is going to feel like an old school Kitchen Days show, though. Even though I'm <laughs> going by Allison these days, I might just revert back because we're going to talk about Rudy Giuliani's investigation. We're going to talk about the Alpha Bank server and the oranges of the Trump-Russia probe. We have information from a new DHS whistleblower who was told to alter intelligence about Russian election interference to make Trump feel better. We have, of course, Sabotage and the Fantasy Indictment League coming your way as well. Uh, I am in... I'm traveling. I'm not going to tell you where. Well, it's fine. It's at my, I'm at my mom's house. Um, I'm taking my mom to see Hamilton this weekend, but you might hear a bit of an echo, and that's because I'm in one of those... Uh, one of those Arizona kind of houses with all the tile floors and things. So I do apologize if the sound is not superior this week. I just wanted to let you know I am traveling and I will stop at nothing, including recording in an airplane bathroom to bring you the show. So with that said, we have a lot to get to. So let's jump in with just the facts. All right, we're going to start off with this Department of Homeland Security whistleblower. A DHS whistleblower leveled a series of bombshell accusations Sunday in his first television interview, accusing Donald and the administration superiors of pressing for manipulated intelligence in three critical subjects, Russian support for Trump, the Mexican border, and the white supremacist threat inside the United States. This guy's name is Brian Murphy. He's my new hero. He's the former principal deputy undersecretary in the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Intelligence and Analysis. He filed a whistleblower complaint last year, as well as a handful of internal complaints and reports that all painted a frightening picture of how things were running inside the department tasked with keeping America safe. From the outset, there were three things that I was told we would look to manipulate intelligence on and bend the truth about, Murphy told George Stephanopoulos that on ABC this week. And I told him up front that I wasn't going to do it. That he was, you know, we need you to manipulate this intelligence. I'm not going to do it. 
On Russia, the border and white supremacy, Murphy said he felt intense pressure to try to take intelligence and fit a political narrative. This sounds so familiar. It happened at NOAA. It happened at CDC. It happened at the FDA. It happened at the EPA, where they take a political ideology and try to make the intelligence fit for Donald. Um, and he's accusing the administration officials of demanding information be manipulated to burnish Trump's image and help his messaging, right? And probably just not piss him off. Uh, in the lead up to the 2020 election, Russian President Vladimir Putin approved efforts to denigrate Democratic candidates in order to benefit Trump. That's an intelligence community report said from, from March. We remember that. Putin also authorized a campaign undermining public confidence in the electoral process and exacerbating socio-political divisions in the U.S. All things Trump does. Something that Donald and his, his closest allies embraced, as a matter of fact, uh, during, during and after the election, because that's what the big lie was. They did that before, they did it after. And in regards to the southern border, the former FBI agent alleged uh, the DHS took a similar approach, fabricating a terrorist threat and misleading Congress to improve the conditions of Trump's coveted border wall. That's the caravans, folks. That's fabricating threats at the border. The pattern repeated when it came to white supremacists, particularly after white supremacists killed a counter-protester. Remember Heather Heyer at the Charlottesville Valley, or rally? Um, quote, after Charlottesville, it became a third rail issue within the department to talk about white supremacy in any meaningful way. Our number one threat. In his whistleblower complaint, Murphy wrote that senior official Ken Cuccinelli demanded he modify the section on white supremacy in a manner that made the threat appear less severe, unquote. But Murphy says he refused because doing so would constitute a censorship of an analysis and an improper administration of an intelligence program. Yeah. Murphy, uh, Murphy's reluctance to play along put a target on his back. He recalled, I know what that's like, Mr. Murphy. Former DHS director Chad Wolf accused him of having a credibility problem and removed him from his position last August, citing claims that he violated legal requirements regarding the collection of information about journalists during riots in Portland, Oregon. Of course, Murphy denied those claims. I'm really looking forward to see what else this whistleblower has to say, and we will continue to cover that story for you. I'd like to move on now to uh, our pal Durham, John Durham, you know, insert prices right, sad noise here. Uh, he's issued a new set of subpoenas. He's, he's over two years into this. He's gotten two really shitty, weak uh, indictments. Uh, one guilty plea, no convictions, zero convictions. Special counsel John Durham, so he's now issued that new set of subpoenas, including to a law firm with ties to Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign, probably Perkins Coie, right? I'm sure if I keep reading, we'll know. Um, this is an indication that he could be trying to build a broader criminal case, according to people briefed on the matter. But he's got nothing. So far, Durham's two-year probe, uh, yeah, hasn't brought about the cases that Republicans hoped it would, right? They wanted Comey to go down and, and Bowditch and Jim Baker and... You know, the whole Comey Five, that whole group, McCabe, and they couldn't secure an indictment there. Very interesting. But, you know, last week, uh, you know, with the Durham indictment, Kleinsmith was indicted. Um, and, I, and I found out, I just asked the simple question, why? Because with this latest Sussman indictment, which I'll get to in a minute, I've been saying, well, why, don't, why doesn't Sussman's attorneys, why don't they just file a motion to dismiss based on the fact that 
Durham was appointed without authority. There is no authority that he, that says he can be a special counsel because he came from within the government. And special counsel regulations are six six hundred point three a, I believe six hundred point three a says no. You 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 have to you shall select your special counsel from outside the government. And he was he was a U.S. attorney. He worked for the government. Uh, but regardless, I, I'd asked why they didn't do that under the Kleinsmith thing. Durham hadn't been appointed special counsel yet at that point. He was just a, a regular old U.S. attorney. So um, he, you know, he didn't have an, an, uh, an inappropriate or unauthorized appointment by that time. So I hope that we see that motion, and I hope that it works. But um, in any case, Perkins Cooey, Sussman, he's issuing more subpoenas. And, and, you know, the grand jury subpoenas for documents came earlier this month after Durham charged... Sussman with lying to the FBI. And during the meeting, Sussman handed over data purporting to show links between the Trump Organization and Russia's Alpha Bank. That tip became part of the FBI's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election, but the FBI ultimately couldn't find evidence of a link, so they say. In seeking additional documents from Sussman's uh, former law firm, this is Perkins Cooey, there you go, investigators from the special counsel's office appear to be sharpening their focus on the democratic political machinery during the 2016 campaign and efforts to tie Trump to Russia. Trump tied Trump to Russia. Perkins Cooey's clients in 2016 included the Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee. The law firm also hired a campaign on behalf of research. The company commissioned the dossier from ex-British spy Christopher Steele. They hired that oppo research firm as well. Um, and that all seems to be fine. I don't know what Durham is looking for. He's already had access to reams of these law firm's records, billing records, meeting calendars, some of the newly sought um documents have, have been guarded so far by attorney-client privilege. So I don't know what he's thinking he's going to get. These new subpoenas could lead to a court fight over privileged information. They would have to probably get another special master out there. They would draw more uh, about the Clinton campaign into the open. So, um, and of course, while working for Perkins Coie, Sussman also represented Rodney Joffe, a cybersecurity expert. That's the one referred to in the, in the indictment as Tech Exec 1. In 2016, Joffe, who had not been previously identified, worked with researchers to collect internet data about the Trump Organization that Sussman took to the FBI. And Durham's continued use of the federal grand jury in D.C. signals he could be interested in adding to Sussman's charges or bringing cases against additional defendants. And we'll find out. But again, two more after more than two years of being commissioned by Barr, uh, not at like with under no authority to investigate whether federal authorities improperly targeted the Trump campaign. There's little to show for his efforts. His probe, which has lasted longer than Mueller's investigation, has so far brought only two lying charges against little known figures, including the case against Sussman. Now, Sussman's pleaded not guilty. Kleinsmith pled guilty. So this could go to trial. And and as I've said uh, on Clean Up on All 45, the beans and here, that indictment is not going to hold up. We've covered Sussman, but let's talk about the elephant in the room, shall we? That everyone is just sort of stepping over somehow the Alpha Bank server. We never got to the bottom of that story. I'm not satisfied with the way it's being reported in this indictment or in the media. We'll be right back with a write-up from KrebsOnSecurity.com to talk about it. Stay with us. 
Hey everybody, it's AG, and today's episode is brought to you by our newest sponsor. I'm so excited. It's called Aura. The way you use the internet has changed dramatically over the last decade, and I know it has for me, but security tools have mostly stayed the same. But Aura provides complete digital security to help protect your online accounts, finances, and devices, and it's all in one easy-to-use app. Aura provides digital security protection to keep your online finances, personal information, and tech safe from online threats. It's all-in-one protection from identity theft, financial fraud, malware, scam sites, and so much more. With Aura, you'll get alerted to fraud and threats fast, like if your online accounts or passwords were leaked online, or if someone tries to open a bank account in your name. Aura is easy to set up, and all plans come with a million dollars in identity theft insurance to help recover your stolen funds and experienced U.S.-based customer support that's got your back. Aura is a new type of security service that protects all of your online information and devices with one simple subscription. With an easy online dashboard and alerts sent straight to your phone, Aura keeps you in control and guides you through solving any issues. For a limited time, Aura is offering our listeners up to 40% off plans when you visit Aura.com MSW. Go to Aura.com MSW to get complete, complete protection and savings of up to 40%. That's Aura, A-U-R-A dot com slash MSW. You'll be glad you did. All right, so I, I pulled this story, which I want to go over with you, off of KrebsOnSecurity.com. It's a wonderful site. You really should check this out. And I wanted to talk about the Alpha Bank communication server because that one was never sat, like resolved to my satisfaction. And I don't want you to think it's because I don't want shit from the Mueller era to not be resolved. Uh, it, it's just because it wasn't. There are things that are resolved from the, the Mueller era that I've talked about that I don't like that, that they went away. For example, um, individual one, right, in the Cohen case in Southern District of New York, that's closed. Uh, it could be reopened, but, you know, that's a, that's a resolved thing. But I never felt comfortable with the explanation around uh, surrounding the Alpha Bank you know, Trump Tower server communications. We did a big, um, you know, a whole episode on on this uh, back in the day, and I just wanted to kind of bring it back here. And Krebs was kind enough to do an amazing write-up, and he talks about how in October 2016, media outlets reported data collected by some of the world's most renowned cybersecurity experts had identified frequent and unexplained communications between a server used by Trump Organization and Alpha Bank, one of Russia's largest financial institutions. Those publications set off speculation about possible secret back channels of communications, as well as a series of lawsuits and investigations that culminated last week with the indictment of Sussman. Now, since 2018, access to an exhaustive report commissioned by the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee on data that prompted those experts to seek out the FBI had been limited. Access had been limited to a handful of Senate leaders. Alpha Bank and special prosecutors appointed to look into the oranges of the FBI investigation on alleged ties between Trump and Russia. That's that's it. So only Senate leaders and Durham, special prosecutor, has had access to the 2018 report, exhaustive report. Now the report is public, thanks to a pair of lawsuits filed by Alpha Bank ironically, which doesn't directly dispute the information collected by the researchers. Instead, it claims the data they found was the result of a highly sophisticated cyber attack against it in 2016 and 2017, intended to, quote, fabricate communications. So Alpha Bank here, think about what they're actually saying. They're saying, we're going to sue, we're going to sue you uh, because, not because, you know, we say we weren't communicating with Trump Tower. What we're saying is somebody hacked us 
and made it look like we were talking to the Trump organization. It was a hack. Wow. The data issue uh, refers to communications traversing the domain name systems, DNS, a global database that maps computer-friendly coordinates like internet addresses uh, to more human-friendly domain names like example.com. Uh, so that's kind of what the domain name system does. It's a database. It's a, a mapping database. So it can take like 8.164.222.9 and turn it into allisongill.com. Uh, whenever an internet user gets online to visit a website and send an email, the user's device sends a query through the DNS. And we talked about this, if you remember, a couple years ago. Those DNS queries, right? Many different entities capture and, and record the DNS data as it traverses the internet, allowing researchers to go back later and see which internet addresses resolved to what domain names, when, and for how long. Sometimes the metadata generated by these lookups can be used to identify or infer persistent network connections between different internet hosts, right? And the DNS strangeness, according to Krebs here, was first identified in 2016 by a group of security experts who told reporters they were alarmed at the hacking of the DNC and grew concerned that the same attackers might also target Republican leaders and institutions. They did. Scrutinizing the Trump Organization's online footprint... The researchers determined that for several months during the spring and summer of 2016, because the timing's not weird at all, internet servers at Alpha Bank in Russia, Spectrum Health in Michigan, and Heartland Payment Systems in New Jersey accounted for nearly all of the several thousand DNS lookups from a specific Trump organization server. It's mail1.trump-email.com. That's the server. The researchers said they couldn't be sure what kind of communications between those servers had caused the DNS lookups, but concluded that the data would be extremely difficult to fabricate. As recounted in this 2018 New, York's New Yorker story, this is the one we reported on, New York Times journalist Eric Lichtblau met with FBI officials in late September 2016 to discuss the researchers' findings. The Bureau asked him to hold on to the story before publishing because it might disrupt an ongoing investigation. On September 21st, 2016, Lichtblau reportedly shared the DNS data with the BGR, a Washington lobbying firm that worked with Alpha Bank. Lichtblau's reporting on the DNS findings ended up buried in an October 31st, 2016 story called Investigating Donald Trump, FBI Sees No Clear Link to Russia, which stated the FBI ultimately concluded there could be an innocuous explanation, like marketing email or spam, that could explain the unusual DNS connections. But that same day, Slate's Franklin Foer published a story based on his interactions with researchers. Foer noted that roughly two days after Lichtblau shared the DNS data with BGR, the Trump Organization email server domain vanished from the internet. Its domain effectively decoupled from its internet address. Do you remember that? It just disappeared two days after that story came out, even though it was buried it's, uh, we talked about this. Now, Foer wrote that the Times hadn't yet been in touch with Donald or the campaign about the DNS data when the Trump email domain suddenly went offline. Odder still, four days later, the Trump organization created a new host, trump1.contacts-client.com. And the very first DNS lookup to that new domain came from servers at Alpha Bank. 
the researchers concluded the new domain enabled communication to the very same server via a different route. When a new host name is created, quote, the first communication with it is never random. To reach the server after the resetting of a host name, the sender on the first inbound mail has to first learn of the name somehow. It's simply impossible to randomly reach a renamed server. That party had to have some kind of outbound message through SMS, phone, or some non-internet channel they used to communicate the new configuration. Meaning they couldn't communicate with AlphaBank to tell them the new, you know, Trump one dot server client or whatever. They had to text them, use an outside form of communication to get that information to somebody at the other end to start sending in hellos. If this were a public server, we would have seen other traces, they say. The only lookups came from AlphaBank. The theories. Now, these are Krebs. He's where it's at, the theories here. But both the Trump Organization and AlphaBank have denied using or establishing any sort of channel. You know, or they're, they're saying that the experts faked it or they were hacked. They faked these messages. And in a follow-up story by Foer, the Trump Organization suggested the DNS lookups might be the result of spam or email advertising, various Trump properties. You know, I email, I try to advertise my properties on the internet. It's probably that. And said a Florida-based marketing firm called Sendine registered and managed their email server in question. Oh, thanks. Sendine told CNN that its contract to provide email marketing services for the Trump Organization ended in March of 2016, weeks before the DNS lookups chronicled by the researchers started appearing. Sendine told CNN that a different client had been communicating with AlphaBank using Sendine communications applications, a claim that AlphaBank denied. AlphaBank subsequently hired computer forensics firms Mandiant, or Mandiant, and Straws Friedberg, hired a couple of experts to examine the DNS data presented by the researchers. Both companies concluded there was no evidence of email communications between AlphaBank and the Trump Organization. However, both firms also acknowledged that AlphaBank didn't share any DNS data for the relevant four-month time period identified by the researchers. Hmm. Another theory for the DNS weirdness outlined in Mandian's report that AlphaBank servers performed the repeated DNS lookups for the Trump Organization because its internal trend micro antivirus product routinely scanned domains in emails for signs of malicious activity, and that incoming marketing emails promoting Trump properties could have explained the traffic. Could have. The researchers maintain this did not explain similar and repeated DNS lookups that made to the Trump Organization email server by Spectrum Health which is closely tied to the DeVos family. What? Okay, so Alpha Bank, the DeVoses, were there communicating with this Trump server. All coincidence, apparently. And in June of 2020, Alpha Bank filed two, those two lawsuits, John Doe lawsuits, one in Pennsylvania and another in Florida. Their stated purpose was to identify the anonymous hackers behind the cyber attacks they claim were responsible for planting the DNS lookups. AlphaBank so far has subpoenaed at least 49 people, including the, all of the security experts quoted in the 2016 media reports, and others who merely offered perspectives on the matter via social media. At least 15 of those individuals or entities have been deposed. AlphaBank's most recent subpoena was issued August 26th, a couple weeks ago. August 26th, 2021. So this isn't over. Elgin Camp, a professor at Indiana University School of Informatics and Computing, was among the first to publish some of the DNS data collected by the group. In 2017, AlphaBank sent Camp a series of threatening letters suggesting she was a central figure in, uh, in the, what the company would later claim was a malicious cyber activity targeting them. Camp's attorneys 
and Indiana University have managed to keep her from being deposed by both Alpha Bank and John Durham. Although Camp said Alpha Bank was able to obtain certain emails through the school's public records request policy. Quote, if MIT had the commitment to academic freedom that Indiana University has shown throughout this entire process, Aaron Swartz would still be alive, Camp said. So, Camp says she's bothered that Alpha Bank and, and Trump's special counsel, Durham, have cast these researchers in a sinister light when many of those subpoenaed have spent a lifetime trying to make inter the internet more secure. Quote, not including me, they've subpoenaed some people who are significant, consistent, and important contributors to the security of American networks against the very attacks coming from Russia. I think they're using law enforcement to attack network security and determining the ways in which their previous attacks have been and are being detected. Nicholas Weaver, UC Berkeley lecturer, told Krebs on security he complied with a subpoena request from specific emails he'd sent to colleagues about the DNS data. So it looks like Durham's actually looking into the DNS data trying to find problems here. And all he's come up with was a paper thin, not even really a lie by Sussman. Uh, Weaver said Alpha Bank's lawsuit has nothing to do with uncovering the truth about DNS data, but rather with intimidating and silencing researchers who've spoken out about it, which makes sense. It's clearly abusive quote. So I'm willing to call it out for what it is, which is a John Doe lawsuit for a fishing expedition. Now among those subpoenaed, was Daniel, Day, uh, Daniel J. Jones, a former investigator for the FBI and the U.S. Senate, who is perhaps best known for his role in leading the investigation into the CIA's use of torture in the wake of 9-11. That's Dan Jones. He runs the Democracy Integrity Project, a nonprofit in D.C. whose stated mission includes efforts to research, investigate, and help mitigate foreign interference in elections, not just in the U.S., but our allies. In 2018, U.S. Senate investigators asked the Democracy Integrity Project to produce and share detailed analyses of the DNS data, which it did without payment. That lengthy report was never publicly released by the committee or anyone else until a week ago. When Jones and TDIP filed their own lawsuit against Alpha Bank, according to Jones's complaint, Alpha Bank had entered into a confidentiality agreement regarding certain sensitive personal information Jones was compelled to provide as part of complying with a subpoena. But on August 20th, Alpha Bank attorneys sent written notices that it was challenging portions of the confidentiality agreement. Jones's complaint asserts that Alpha Bank intends to publicly file portions of these confidential exhibits, an outcome that could jeopardize his safety. And this would not be the first time Jones provided testimony under a confidentiality agreement and ended up in the public eye. TDIP's complaint noted that before Jones met with FBI officials in 2017 to discuss the Russian DESA campaigns, he was assured by two FBI agents his identity would be protected from exposure and any information he provided to the FBI would not be associated with him. But nevertheless, in 2018, House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, the HIPSI, the House Intel Committee, released a redacted report on Russian active measures. The report blacked out Jones's name, but a series of footnotes in the report named his employer and included links to his organization's website. Jones's complaint spent, spent several pages detailing the thousands of death threats he's received after the report was published online. Now, as far as the report goes, <clears throat> as part of the lawsuit against Alpha Bank, Jones published 40 pages from the 600-page-plus report he submitted to the U.S. Senate in 2018. From reviewing its table of contents, the remainder of the unpublished report appears to delve deeply into details about Alpha Bank's history, its owners, and its connections with the Kremlin. The report notes that unlike other domains, the Trump Organization used to send mass marketing emails. The domain at issue, mail1.trump-email.com, was configured in such a way 
that would have prevented it from effectively sending marketing or bulk emails, or at least prevented most of the missives sent through the domain from ever making it past spam filters. Nor was the domain configured like other Trump Organization domains that demonstrably did send commercial emails. Also, the mail1.trump-email.com domain was never once flagged as sending spam by any of the 57 different spam block lists published online at the time. It's not spam. Quote, if large amounts of marketing emails were emanating from that domain, it's likely some of the receivers of those emails would have marked them as spam. Spam is nothing new on the internet. Mass mailings create easily observed phenomena, such as wide dispersion of backscatter queries from spam filters. No such evidence is found in any of these logs. However, Jones's report did find that the, uh, the mail1.trump-email.com was configured to accept incoming email. Jones cites testing con conducted by one of the researchers found that that server was uh, rejected messages with an automated reply saying the server couldn't accept messages from that particular sender. This test reveals that either the server was configured to reject email from everyone or that the server was configured to accept only emails from specific senders. The report also puts a finer point on the circumstances surrounding the disappearance of, of that domain just two days after the New York Times shared its DNS data with AlphaBank's representatives. Quote, after the record was deleted on September 23, 2016, AlphaBank and Spectrum Health continued to conduct DNS lookups for mail1.trump-email.com. In the case of AlphaBank, this behavior persisted until late Friday on September 23rd, Moscow time. At that point, AlphaBank ceased its DNS lookups of mail1.trump-email.com. Less than 10 minutes later, a server assigned to AlphaBank was the first source in the DNS data set. 37 million DNS records, by the way, were examined. Less than 10 minutes later, a server assigned to AlphaBank was the first source in the DNS data set examined, the first source to conduct a DNS lookup for the server name trump1.contact-client.com. That's the new one. The answer received was 66.216.133.29, same IP address used for the previous one that was deleted in the days before. No servers associated with AlphaBank ever conducted a DNS lookup for that, for this new server before, and the next DNS lookup for the, uh, that server didn't occur until October 5th. Three of those five lookups originated from Russia. A copy of the complaint filed by Jones against AlphaBank is available. So the Sussman indictment refers to the various researchers who contacted him in 2016 by placeholder names. Tech Executive One, who's we know now, Researcher One and Researcher Two. The tone of the indictment reads as if it's described a vast web of nefarious illegal activity, although it doesn't attempt to address the veracity of any specific concerns raised by the actual researchers. For one example, quote, from in or about July 2016 through at least in or about February 2017, however, Originator One, Researcher One, and Researcher Two also exploited Internet Company One's data and other data to assist Tech Executive One in his efforts to conduct research concerning Trump's potential ties to Russia. Quoting from emails between Tech Executive One and the researchers, the indictment makes clear that Durham had subpoenaed many of the same researchers who'd been subpoenaed and or deposed in the John Doe lawsuits from Alpha Bank. To date, Alpha Bank has yet to name a single defendant in its lawsuits. In the meantime, the Sussman indictment is being dissected by many users on social media who have been closely following the Trump administration's inquiry into the Russia investigation. The majority of the social media posts appear to be crowdsourcing an effort to pinpoint the real-life identities behind the placeholder names. 
At one level, it doesn't matter much which explanation of DNS data you believe. There's a very real possibility that the way this entire inquiry has been handled could negatively affect the FBI's ability to collect crucial and sensitive investigative tips for years to come. That's an important point made by Krebs, who in their right mind will volunteer confidential information to the FBI if they fear there's even the slightest chance that future shifting political winds could end up seeing them prosecuted, publicized, doxxed, threatened. So this could have a chilling effect, which would be a less than ideal outcome in the context of today's top cyber threats and ransomware. But given the way the government has essentially shot all of the messengers with the handling of the Sussman case, who could blame those with useful and valid tips if they opted to stay silent? That's the problem. That's what Krebs wants to drive home here. But we have more to come. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, Sabotage and the Fantasy Indictment League. If you'd like to get these episodes ad-free, just head to patreon.com slash she wrote. You'll become a patron of this show, the MSW Book Club, and the Daily Beans, all ad-free for you, just three bucks a month. So again, patreon.com slash she wrote. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of the show is brought to you by Wild Alaskan Company. Did you know most grocery store seafood you eat was frozen and then thawed just to present to you as fresh? That fresh doesn't always mean best. Start enjoying your seafood with flavor preserved at the peak of freshness with Wild Alaskan Company. Wild Alaskan Company freezes their fish right after it's caught, so it's perfectly handled and delicious when you're ready to cook it. Wild Alaskan Company delivers high-quality, sustainably sourced wild-caught seafood right to your door. Each shipment contains premium cuts of individually wrapped portions of delicious seafood that are ready to prepare and easy to cook. You can choose from salmon, cod, halibut, and more, or a combination. And every month, there are different specials to explore. Wild Alaskan Company seafood is how nature intended it to be. Always wild, never farmed, never modified, and no antibiotics. You can adjust, pause, or cancel your membership anytime, and they have a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back, no risk. And right now, you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com MSW. That's wildalaskan, A-L-A-S-K-A-N, wildalaskancompany.com slash msw for $15 off your first box wildalaskancompany.com slash msw please use our url to let them know we sent you they'll be glad you did all right everybody welcome back it's time for sabotage and for sabotage today we have new court filings from the rudy case in the southern district of new york remember the arc of the universe is the arc of justice is long but it bends toward the southern district the documents were filed by rudy's lawyers in court this past august we just got them this week and they indicate that rudy is under investigation not only for Farah and stuff but for his 2019 trip to poland and that prosecutors are weighing conspiracy charges Rudy's lawyer says, quote, the investigation is in search of possible FARA violation involving Ukrainian individuals, Marie Yovanovitch, and the office of the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, and a trip by Giuliani to Poland in 2019, and also issues involving Franklin Templeton and the funds misappropriated from Ukraine. Stolen money. Franklin Templeton. Okay. So here's six points from the warrant. That we got. First of all, they wanted communications with 12 identified individuals. They wanted communications about Yovanovitch. Number three, they wanted retainer agreements with Lutsenko. Number four, work concerning Franklin Templeton and the recovery of stolen Ukrainian assets. Number five, that trip to Poland in 2019. We had just not, hadn't heard about that before. And six, evidence of knowledge of, of Farah, of the rules, the Farah rules, which he has. So, 
given that little gem, um, time to play the Fantasy and Diamond League. I'm going to be indicted! No, it is going to be a... Indicted! Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey, they can't. It's gonna be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm gonna be indicted. All right, we have an indictment today. If you had a rando Russian uh, straw donor, (laughs) give yourself a point. I believe I did. A federal grand jury in Fort Myers, Florida, returned an indictment on September 22nd, charging a Florida businessman with defrauding the United States by not disclosing his substantial offshore assets, failing to report substantial income on his tax returns failing to pay millions of dollars in taxes and submitting a false offshore compliance filing with the IRS in an attempt to avoid substantial penalties and criminal prosecution. According to the indictment from 2005 to 2016, see, statute of limitations doesn't matter if you keep criming. Mark Anthony Gayatve uh, uh, allegedly engaged in a scheme to defraud the United States by concealing his ownership and control over substantial offshore assets and by failing to file and pay taxes on millions of dollars of income. After working as a certified public accountant, a CPA, in the United States and Russia, Getve, uh, I, I think that's, I'm saying it right, Getve, allegedly became the chief financial officer for a large Russian gas company. They don't name it. As part of his compensation package, Getve allegedly received lucrative stock options and or stock-based compensation. And beginning in 2005, he allegedly opened the first of two different Swiss bank accounts to hold those assets which at one point had an aggregate value of over $93 million. Over a period of several years, he allegedly took steps to conceal his ownership and control over the foreign accounts and associated assets, such as removing himself and making his then-wife, a Russian citizen, the beneficial owner of the accounts. Despite being an accountant, he also allegedly did not timely file his tax returns, nor did he file all the required reports of uh, foreign bank and financial financial accounts, FBARs. Those are forms certain U.S. taxpayers are required to file annually that disclose their control over assets maintained in foreign bank accounts. This is the same stuff Manafort went down for, by the way. And, yeah, it, it was. It says here that his, his, he attested his prior failure to file the FBARs and tax returns was non-willful. You're a CPA, dude. Too dumb to crime isn't going to work here. He's scheduled for his initial court appearance uh, before uh, Judge Frazier in the U.S. District Court for the Middle District of Florida, Middle District of Florida. Where have I heard that before? Could it be that is the U.S. Attorney's Office that's investigating Matt Gates? Did this come out of the Greenberg proffer? Should we be seeing a Matt Gates indictment soon? Will it have anything to do with offshore money or Russia? <laughs> But this guy, he, he faces a penalty of 20 years in prison for each wire fraud count, five years for each failure to file an FBAR, five years for tax evasion, five years for making a false statement, three years for each count of assisting in the preparation of false tax returns, and one year in prison for each willful failure to file a tax return count. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Acting Deputy Assistant Attorney General Stuart Goldberg of the Justice Department's Tax Division made the announcement. IRS criminal investigation is investigating the case. Senior litigation counsel Stanley Okula and trial attorneys David Zisserson and Kevin Schneider, the Zisserson Schneider of the tax division, are are prosecuting the case. So that's what's going on there. So we do have an indictment. If you had a rando Russian United States CPA uh, offshore money 
uh, CFO of a Russian oil company, give yourself, geez, give yourself 20 points. That's, that's a very specific indictment. I'm going to keep my crew the same, uh, as I, as I did last week. Um, so, uh, let's see, that's Gates, DeGeneva, Tonzing, Rudy, and then I, I want a superseding Weisselberg, uh, a Calamari plea agreement, and a McConney. They've already uh, received immunity for their testimony per the rules of New York grand juries, but um, I think we haven't heard of official plea agreement announcements, so that's what I'm drafting here. And then... Um, uh, Trump org superseding. I'm going to go Eric. Eric seems like he's in trouble. Eric Trump. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And did I pick Gates? Yeah. How about um, Letsenko? I'm going to add Letsenko. All right. That is our show. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can catch us every Sunday. And then, of course, if you want the daily news every day, you can listen to the Daily Beans pod, wherever you get your podcasts. And then, of course, we're in, right in the middle of the Mary Trump Book Club. We're starting episode four today. Uh, we're doing uh, the MSW Book Club, Mary Trump's book, The Reckoning, uh, which you definitely need to to pick up and read. If you haven't got one, get your copy and then search for MSW Book Club and subscribe, please, because I love outcharting Hannity. And uh, until next week. Please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG, and this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is written and produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media. Sound design and engineering are by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter and our art and web designer by Joel Reeder at Moxie Design Studios. Muller She Wrote is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. They might be giants that have been on the road for too long. Too long. And they might be giants aren't even sorry. Not even sorry. And audiences like the shows too much. Too much. And now they might be giants are playing their breakthrough album, Flood. All of it. And they still have time for other songs. They're fooling around. Who can stop They Might Be Giants and their liberal rock agenda? Who? No one. This happens to pay for with somebody else's money. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. 
but with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler. How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is lawyers, guns, and money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.